Welcome, everybody, to episode 177 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben. And I am David. Oh, I was supposed to say something. And we have a special... <laughs> we have a... <laughs> And we we have a special guest today, which is uh, Jason Schron. Hey, how's it going? Jason, where would people might know you from <laughs> other than uh, <laughs> some some Canadian guy I contacted on Gallifrey Base? I'm just a random Canadian person. <laughs> I represent all, oh, all, cool. all the Canadians. <laughs> uh, take <laughs> off, Canadians. eh? Take off, eh, you hoser? No, I'm, um, I, I own uh, Rapido Trains, Inc., which is the largest model train manufacturing company in Canada. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and we also, I think we're one of the largest in North America right now. So, uh, yeah. And you also make UK models, too. And we make British models as well, yeah. We've done a couple of models for the National Road Museum. We've done um, N-Gage, Double O. Also in York. Yeah, also in York. I, see, I, I've, uh, I always enjoy going to the NRM in York. It's a lot of fun. Cool museum. And uh, so, yeah, we make models for the North American and British markets. And we're actually in the process of relaunching our, um, our British line and, and, and having a, a more of a, a bigger presence in the UK. And we've been stymied mm-hmm. by the fact that no British bank is opening new corporate bank accounts right now. So really? it's like we're emailing the bankers, you know, Barclays or whatever, and saying, we have money we want to put in your account. <laughs> Just give us the account. We will put money. We will contribute. to. Right. The- You're going into lockdown. We will give money to the UK economy. So that's been our challenge. Is that, is, is that because of COVID it's or because, because of, of COVID. No, it's COVID. They're, COVID. they're so busy oh, processing okay. the COVID stuff for businesses. Like all mm-hmm. the uh, the loans really? and stuff that Jeez. that they are not opening any new business accounts. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, our 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 UK. Did you ever watch Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister? Yep. Did you see the, yep. the yeah, yeah, yeah. the red yep. tape coming out of Sir Humphrey Appleby's briefcase? I mean, that's what we're <laughs> stuck in right now as we try oh, wow. and expand in the UK. But we're mm-hmm. we're 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 committed to it, so we're having fun. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So the UK connection is I watch Rapido train videos because I'm a model railroader and always in the background and like in your office and stuff, I see Doctor Who uh, memorabilia. <laughs> yes. And well, then you have a via rail car that you reconstructed in your basement. But then on the introduction to those videos, you're walking down a stairwell and there's a line of classic Doctor Who figures in it. And I'm going, <laughs> this, this guy is a Doctor Who fan and no one ever asks him about Doctor Who. It's always trains and trains are great. That's like my other passion. But there's Doctor Who, man. Let's get Jason on and ask about Doctor Who. I, I am I am honored. I'm honored. I was actually on uh, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation for an interview a few years ago. And we're talking about trains. And at the end of the interview, he says to me, you know, hey, you're you're good at this stuff. Hey, can you come and talk about pipelines and stuff? And I said, look, all I can talk about is trains and Doctor Who. That's it. Trains and Doctor Who. So uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm finally able to talk about Doctor Who. Because, yeah, I do um, all the, the repeat of videos we shoot in our office. The Doctor Who stuff right. is there because... Because right. my house is filled with trains and the Doctor Who is like two bookcases, three bookcases full of my, I've got all the, um, I've got the complete set of the hardbacks, the original hardbacks, WH Allen, Winget, all this. Ooh, and yeah. and yeah. so it, it, I've run out of space. So I've got like all these Cyberman helmets. I've got mm-hmm. a Dalek. I've got a TARDIS. Um, and I've got like the Doctor Who give a show projector and all this stuff I've Please. collected over the years. <laughs> and there's no room in my house. So it all just shows up in my office, and then occasionally someone will respond to video. It's like, was that a, was that a Silurian head I just saw behind you? <laughs> <laughs> so are those, are those um, so I, I collect stuff as well. Is, is, are those repros, or do you have repros? Yeah, they're, oh, they're repros. I mean, they, all, all repros, you have okay. to, it's always a question of where you want to spend your money, right? This mm-hmm. is a discussion yeah. I get into with friends all the time, is that, 
everyone has different ways that, that, that they value how they want to spend their money. Um, and, right. you know, for me, when I go to China on business, I like to stay in a hotel room that's nice. I don't right. like staying in the $35 a night <laughs> dump, okay? I say that's right. And uh, a friend of mine who goes to China with me, he likes to have parties. Like, yeah, has all people. His, everyone chooses their way. So for me, with Doctor Who, I can have a gorgeous Cyberman helmet for like 200 pounds. Right. Or I can pay like 20,000 pounds for original, which is all beaten up because it's, yep. you know, it's ancient. Beaten up, yeah, exactly, from long leaps. <laughs> so I'll, I'll exactly. go with the, 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 the repro and I'll, say, I'll, I'll save the 20,000 pounds, you know, for a car. <laughs> so is 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 your Dalek? Um, I can't remember what, what the Dalek makers in Britain are called. No, that that, that was um, this planet, planet Earth. Planet, yeah. This planet Earth. Uh, no, it was no. it was great. I was on eBay and someone was selling yeah. a, a it was it was a Daleks Dalek as in 1963 version, oh, right? So it cool. didn't it didn't have the slats on the side, right? Right. Just and I, that was great. I mean, I, I love all Daleks up until you know. 80s sometime right so um, i'm very much i well Good i man. do enjoy i watch every episode of new who i'm very much a classic who nut yeah and and yep. so it was i think i paid 800 pounds I, I messaged the person and said would you ship to canada if i like arrange the shipping from here with my freight company mm-hmm. and right. they said sure and the guy who built it is like in the middle of I don't know it was Dartmoor or something in the middle of nowhere, okay? <laughs> right. And 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 he built this himself in a fiberglass. It's a gorgeous build. Like I mean, it looks like a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred wow. percent. Wow. Okay. And he built a crate for it. Huh. And my my freight company came and just picked up this crate on the farm. So the wow, first time they, they they come and say no, he wasn't there. And so I, I emailed the guy. He says no, no, no. <laughs> It's a farm, okay? You can't miss it, all right? These guys, right. They, they got lost. So I wrote back to my friends, go get the Dalek. And, uh, and so, and then five weeks later, this Dalek shows up in the office, and it was, wow. it was wonderful. And the, the TARDIS, I found, someone built it in New Brunswick in eastern Canada and couldn't get oh. rid of the darn thing because it was yeah, huge and heavy and MDF. Yep. And right. so... Uh, I had, um, I was, I, we actually bought an old train in New Brunswick. So I had a whole bunch of train parts mm-hmm. moving from New Brunswick <laughs> to Toronto. And I just said to a friend of mine, hey, do you mind picking up this um, this big blue box? I'm like, sure, no problem. <laughs> so we got real train parts and a TARDIS arrived at our warehouse. Excellent. Perfect. That's, that's perfect. That's leveraging perfect, perfect. your assets there. That's uh, combining all all kind of funneling into one core hobby. There you go. Real trains, <laughs> TARDISes arriving in a model train warehouse. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know how pure you are with um, doing the Kingston subdivision, the model railroad that you're doing. Do you have any plans like slipping in a police call box somewhere in the background or anything like that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We actually, we designed, um, an, so HO scale, which over here is 187th, is a slightly smaller scale than British trains. That's 176. Mm-hmm. So you can't get a police box in 187. Right. So at some point mm. I had my factory design it and we're going to sneak it onto a mold <laughs> at some point. <laughs> and just like, sneak it in. churn out like 2,000 of these things and just include it free with models. Like, here you go. Oh. You bought a new locomotive. You get a free oh. police box. Oh, like, I, I need one, right? <laughs> I, I need one too. I, that's that's the problem because they're all OO gauge that you're getting like the Hornby Exactly. And, and I've, I've got those little miniature Daleks and Cybermen. Remember in the 80s, there were like the miniature war game Daleks and yep. Cybermen. Oh, yeah. Games, there was Games Workshop or yeah, something. Game, it was those. Games Workshop. So okay. I've got yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got like they're all up of my body, and, and but they're too big. Yep. They're also on a slightly yeah. larger scale. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I can't have these monsters. These aren't these aren't new who Daleks. Right? These are original <laughs> Daleks. So I can't have these monstrous Daleks invading my towns and my model railroad. Giant Daleks. But at, yeah. at, at some paradise. point, at some point, and also the with three D printing, it's so what we have a three D printer at the office. I've not figured out how to use it yet, um, but uh, we will, should be able to do that. So the other bit, I know you love buses, and there's this <laughs> classic photo of uh, I think Moonbase Cybermen all lined up for a, a London City bus. <laughs> And it's sort yes. of like, that's like one of the scenes I'd love to model of having like Cybermen all lined up. So 3D printing would be like perfect. You know, you get a sculpt of a Cyberman and then you can have them all lined up waiting for the bus. And I know Absolutely. you love buses too. So. I'm a bu- I am a bus nut. Um, the, the trouble is that if you look at what's out there uh, in the 3D printing world, it's mostly new Who fans right. who are doing the, the three. So like to find classic Who stuff to 3D print is tricky. It is. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but I, I, you know, Rapido takes up a lot of my time, obviously, because it's a very large it's company, a business. but uh, <laughs> it's a business. Yeah. But uh, I hope that as I am able to have more free time, mm-hmm. uh, there will be more classic who available for, <laughs> for 3D printing. <laughs> Well, the other other thing is, if if whenever the show does go on hiatus again, I think licenses might be easier to acquire, and that might, you know, throw that out there. That might be something that entrepreneurs would be able to do. And you know, right now the 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 miniatures are all towards the wargaming market, but you can imagine right. when licenses become freer, then there could be more diversity in it too. Licensing is a huge challenge for us. Um, you know, as a manufacturer, even though it's not it's not it's not Doctor Who toys; it's yeah. small train products. And there's a that's a real challenge. So to do a, a, a you know a British Rail model or anything like that, or even Virgin Trains, they're always very accommodating. It's fine, you know, with, mm-hmm. with giving licenses. The yeah. challenge is if you have a train that appears in a movie. So for like if you know there's a train that was ripped apart in the X Men, or right. or if there's um, a very famous tra- train movie from the '70s called Silver Streak, right? And like to to talk to you, it costs fifty thousand dollars. Huh. And for us to say, hang on, the total sales is $100,000. I can't give you a 50% royalty. <laughs> I can't do that. We're not making Hot Wheels here. We're making right. model trains for the hobby market. Right. So that I think that's a real challenge. I really think that there should be like two-tiered licensing for any hmm. franchise. You've got... You're, oh, you're a, you're a small baker. Okay, you pay this amount. Oh, your your gross sales are $100 million. Okay, you're paying this amount. Right. And and having that distinction makes it easier for small. But now that you've got the 3D printing and what have you, mm-hmm. anyone, anyone who's got some talent and some time uh, and the ability to learn can become mm-hmm. a manufacturer of, for example, those 3D printed uh, invasion Cybermen or, or right. moon-based Cybermen. Right. Right. Or the moon-based Cybermen walking over that very low fence, if you remember that. Picture, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> we're going to walk over. Yeah, yeah. We're going to walk over a very low fence here. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but that there's, there's so many opportunities for that. And I think mm-hmm. that the more that the BBC would make that licensing available for those smaller makers. I think it's mm-hmm. actually that that adds to our enjoyment of Doctor Who. That adds yeah. to our appreciation because it's mm-hmm. it's spreading it's spreading the love of Doctor Who. Right. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. having yeah. more more situations. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us has time, a lot of us has money and it's sort of like please take our money. We want to do it this yes. legitimately. We don't yeah. want to do it on the on the QT. So if there was officially licensed 3D sculpts that BBC had available that you could scale and whatever, you know, it would be yeah. wonderful. Hobbyists would that have would it. be wonderful. We'd, ha- we'd have it in a heartbeat. Yeah. You know, and, and as classic Who fans, you know, there, there was 
there's not been a whole lot. Finally, now we've got a few. You know, Harry Sullivan, Ramana showing up. Yeah. Oh my God, Sarah Jane Smith! Whoa! <laughs> yeah. But but truthfully, it's been pretty dry for about you know ten years now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yes, just throw us some more pyramids of Mars mummies. We'll take them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go on, right? Yeah. But but truthfully, uh, there are a lot of us who would happily fork out the money. But I understand for character options. We're not a huge market, the, the right. classic Who fans. They right. want to appeal to uh, it's it's new Who. It's what people are right. watching on television now. Yeah. <laughs> it's not many of us. I have I have a T-shirt that has the Global Chemicals logo on it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. and and I was actually in a, a team meeting with all the Repito employees, and I said I'm going to give a hundred dollars <laughs> to, to anybody <laughs> who knows what is on my T-shirt. And nobody knew. Like, uh, nobody knew it was on my T-shirt. Like, and oh, you're yes. the boss. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, like, those of us who know what global chemicals are, right. is, I should say. Stevens. You know, <laughs> Stevens. Stevens. <laughs> Stevens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a market there, but not the mass producer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the T-shirt makers, I think, get away with it. They fly, fly just below the radar enough that you know and they can shut down overnight well exactly we we actually had repeat someone kept taking our t-shirt designs because we've made some t-shirts in the past and just putting them up onto a t-shirt site and it's just send the email take it down <laughs> okay mm-hmm. it's like come on it's like we're not we probably i probably know you <laughs> this is model rarity there's not <laughs> right. millions of us okay right just right. stop putting our t-shirt that's all that's our t-shirt <laughs> that's your logo <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like come on <laughs> yeah huh so, how did you get into Doctor Who? And you did you grow up outside Toronto, or yeah, I grew up actually. I was born in Montreal, moved to Toronto when I was young. So, mm-hmm. uh, for those of you on the other side of the planet, they're about three hundred and thirty miles apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first memory of Doctor Who was actually um, it was just a clip. It was it was the Time Monster Part Six. Wow! Uh, and my I was two. <laughs> and how do I know it was the Time <laughs> yeah. Monster Part Six? Because I remembered the doctor in front of what I thought was a big monster. Okay. Right. But that's that's all it was. It was a huge monster. And that's why mm-hmm. I, I always thought it was it was Zygon's part four, but right. that wasn't it because it uh-huh. was even bigger. And then I went when I was a university student, I went to the university library, York University in Canada, not in right. England. Right. And I looked up on microfiche what was playing when my great grandmother came to visit in like July 1977 or whatever it was, wow. right? Or September 77 or something like that. And it was the Time Monster. Huh. And so that's that's how it was Time Monster Part Six. That was my first memory, Doctor Who. Wow. And then I um I became obsessed. First I wouldn't watch, my brother would watch, he's older. Right. And then I became obsessed with it around 1978. I was three years old. Uh-huh. And uh, and like it was religious. We got we got to watch. It. We watched it right. on Saturday night, and then it uh-huh. repeated on Thursday night, and we'd watch it again. Wow! Right, okay. You had to watch Doctor Who. And, were these uh, were, were these omnibus editions in Canada, or was it like weekly? No, these were so they, you had omnibus on the weekends, and okay. then you had um, uh, once a week you had the new season, right. Right. episode by episode, and the new season was like two years old. Okay, so in <laughs> 1978, I was probably watching. I don't know. Maybe see to do, <laughs> right? <laughs> Maybe so. Couple years, three years behind. It would take a couple. Yeah, it took a couple mm-hmm. years to. I don't know why. 
Like, you know, t- send the Telecine prints over and you can right. show them next Tuesday. I right. don't understand why it took so long for that stuff to show up here, but it did. Huh. And eventually I, it was on every day. Uh, when I was a teenager, we, it was on, I have to rush home from school before I figured out how to program my VCR. Right. I had to rush <laughs> home from school. And I eventually had like, like all of us did. I had the, the VHS cassettes yep. off the TV, yep. every episode. I designed my own labels, mm. you know, that had yeah, like yeah. Uh, the, uh-huh. the Hartnell, uh, well, actually it was depending on the doctor, you know, it had the opening sequence behind the graphics and, yeah. you know, there you go. Like, we all did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I love reading Doctor Who magazine when it's obviously written by guys in their 40s and 50s who are talking mm-hmm. about what it was like in the 80s. Yep. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> 1985, I was at a Doctor Who convention in Kitchener, Ontario, and I met John Pertwee at the convention. Wow. Right? And that was my introduction to fandom. I joined the Doctor Who Information Network. And then I was at all these meetings. We helped organize a convention when I was 14 at York mm-hmm. University. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, like, th- Those were the days we got... Someone went to the UK and came back with a VHS of Remembrance of the Daleks. This is a big deal, okay? <laughs> yeah. So, so we had a meeting at, uh, at Mike Dorn's house. You might, I don't know if you've met Mike Dorn. He's a great, a very well-connected Doctor Who mm-hmm. fan in Canada still today. Okay. Um, and he's a couple years older than I am. And we met at Mike's house, and we, put, we had a pyramid. We had a pyramid of VCRs. Everyone <laughs> bought their VCR. Oh. And we connected them with RCA cables. And yeah. poor me, I'm like second from the bottom. <laughs> I got I got snow. four episodes of snow. Do you remember like when it, when it was the moon base two and four were floating around? Yep. And yep. I mean, that was filmed off of a TV and already it was snow. So right. by the time I got it, it was blue snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in in the states where i uh, grew up it was on commercial television some of the pertwee ones but it never yeah. took off and it wasn't until uh pbs started playing them after star wars kicked in in like 1980 i think empire was on and they were scrambling what what sci-fi can we do and right. doctor who's on and so we started with tom baker uh monday through friday at 5 30 uh, start with robot going all the way through the legopolis and then let's repeat so <laughs> uh, we we really imprinted on Tom Baker because just of through repetition that was Doctor Who and you know it didn't make a lot of sense who was this guy at the beginning of Robot that uh, was Tom Baker and then who right you know. right 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 we had the same thing and uh, so Tom Baker for so many Canadians Tom Baker's Doctor Who because of all those right. repeats remember we get most ninety percent of Canadians live within a hundred miles of the U.S. border so right. we get uh, I was watching Doctor Who on WNED Buffalo. Uh-huh. Right, that's where I watched Doctor Who. Right, so mm-hmm. that and the, the Toronto station. So I had we had two Doctor Who. We had Doctor Who Omnibus, and then we had Doctor <laughs> Who on the Saturday night and the, and the Thursday night. And uh-huh. it, it was a, actually there was actually for for the time there was a lot of Doctor Who. And yeah. then of course you know I had to go to the, when 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 Revenge of the Cybermen showed up in my video store, yeah. the one Doctor Who video in mm-hmm. 1984 or whatever it was. Right. Oh my! I think I've seen that show 47 times. It's annoying when I watch. So my my eight year old's into Doctor Who, and when we watch Doctor Who together, he gets pissed off at me because I will talk along with the characters. <laughs> I don't even notice I'm doing it. I just finish their lines. It's like, right. okay, dude. By the time I was your age, I'd already watched this six times. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I had I had one Doctor Who video, and then in 1983, they they broadcast. You know, if you remember, they broadcast uh, the five Doctors right early. earlier here mm-hmm. than it was in the UK. But yep. then they also had found a, a print of um, Spirit from Space, and they showed mm. it as well on, on PBS. Oh, and okay. so I recorded five, So I had three stories. Mm-hmm. I had Revenge of the Cybermen, 
five doctors and spirit from space and i just watched them over and over and over <laughs> wore out the videotapes yeah yeah yeah, those were kind of good times to be in North America because we had a lot of who. Ben, over in the UK, nothing was repeated. So it was all, yep. all in the 1980s, it was all Davison, then Baker, then McCoy. Well, that's why all these features are going back, looking back at 30 years since Sky, right? And, and BSB, mm-hmm. when, yeah, when BSB, finally yeah. a British... Yeah. British fans could watch Old Who, but for us, right? We that was we had that all the mm-hmm. time. We had mm-hmm. all these uh, uh, old episodes that we just shown over and over again. We didn't even really have. I mean, my parents. I can't try to remember when my parents first got a VCR. I mean, my sister and I had to like twist their arms to like actually get one. I think it was for Live Aid, whenever right. that was. Um, that would be eighty four. So, yeah, so I mean, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't even really recording who off the TV at that point because then after that I was away at college and so I wasn't really at home. Um, yeah, so no, I mean, I, it's the it was it was starting to buy the the tapes in the kind of late eighties, right? That I was actually then able to kind of watch rewatch shows that I had this very vague memory of, but mainly my memory always was of the Target novelizations, which then kind of filled in the gaps. Of course, of what I could vaguely remember having watched. Because I mean, I my first memory, and regular listeners of the podcast will already know this, was the Christmas omnibus edition of the Sea Devils, right? Um, which I think was nineteen seventy three, and that's the, that's that's my first memory of Who. So basically, you know, I'm sort of a Pertwee, Pertwee person. Yeah. Well. I, People often ask me who my favorite doctor is, and I, I do. I say I lean Pertwee. I do lean yeah, Pertwee. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it goes by how do you feel when you watch the show, right? Mm-hmm. And when I'm watching whatever it is, Claws of Axos, or or actually yeah. for some reason I love Planet of the Spiders Part One and Two. It's just you know it's a thing. Yeah. You just getting this hat. It doesn't matter that we know everything that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. You get right, and I, you get into this zone, and I really think. For a lot of us older Doctor Who fans, it's tied in with nostalgia. It yes. it, it just is. It's yes. we grew up with Doctor Who, and I mean, mm-hmm. I came of age really during the wilderness years. Right. I was very involved in fandom. I you know I said I helped organize a convention. I was um, doing illustrations for the Dwin Magazine Enlightenment. I was uh, I remember when when they when we found Tomb in Hong Kong. It's like oh, mm-hmm. you know, it was a big deal. <laughs> we had a, a whole watching party, right? Right, and that sort of thing. Like that, it was that was a very active time. It's a good. Mm-hmm. It was a good time to come of age as a Doctor Who fan because fandom was that was it. Yes. Right. We had we had the new adventures, and then the, we had the after the the, the TV movie with the Pertwee logo, mm-hmm. we had the, the BBC books adventures. Right. But like so, we had we had products to to, to consume. Right. But really, it was it was driven by the fans. Yep. Right. And so we 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 sometimes lament about the wilderness years, but I I look back at them and say that was a, actually a great time to be a fan. But it was before everything was easy, mm-hmm. right? It was before the internet and everything was easy. Like yeah, it was right. Usenet, what have you? But it wasn't right. like oh, I want to get this Doctor Who book. I'm going to go online and there's four thousand copies to choose from. Right. Right. We used to go. Once a month, we would scour every secondhand bookshop <laughs> in the Toronto area looking for Target books. Right. And specifically, like, we already had them all. We were now looking for earlier editions. Right. And, and you know, I, I think I was 13 or 14 the first time I saw the black logo on a Target book. <gasps> oh, my God. What is that? Oh, my God. Because new bookstores didn't have it, right? Right. Oh my God! There's the black Perry logo on a Target book. Oh my! And then it was go look for the black logos, and then go look for those uh, Alan what's his name illustrations that have like the those neat covers, like robot that's got a little cartoonish thing on the back. You know? It's oh yeah, like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Go look for all that stuff. And and Peter Brooks. 
Pete, thank you. I'm there, I was thinking of the uh, the cover illustrator. Peter Brooks, yes. So it was you know, getting all the Achilles covers, getting all the Peter Brooks covers, yeah. searching mm-hmm. high and low for that stuff. And I'll tell you, the best time, I was almost complete with my targets. Right. And I was at a record show, because I'm actually also a big uh, Beatles fan, record fan. And I kicked a box underneath some guy's table. I was flipping through his LPs. Mm-hmm. And I looked down, and it's like a banker's box full. Of Target books. <laughs> and they were all first editions. They were like three copies of the Cybermen of 1974. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like, holy crap, sea devils. Oh my God. <laughs> and so and I said, how much? He says, a dollar a book. It's like, take oh, the whole okay. box. <laughs> I'll take the whole thing. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Thank you very uh, much. I had pretty much, a, uh, well, I mean, I have a complete run of all the Target books. But the earlier ones, so the ones with the, uh, with the Pertwee logo, as you described, I got those when I was, you know, quite young. So I colored in all of the illustrations. <laughs> Brilliant. So Brilliant. then, so about, which must have been about 20 years ago now, because I've, I've lived in the States for, for about 20, but maybe, maybe about 25 years ago, I then started to look, I had to kind of rebuy all of the, all of right. the, um, all of the Pertwee logos because the ones I had when I was a kid were, you know, all colored in. I didn't but want those. But now anymore. it's so much. Now they're so common because it's they the are, internet. Yeah. There's, you realize yeah. how common they are. And all right? I mean, Whereas... all, all, all you have to have is money, um, and you can acquire <laughs> exactly as much as you want. Yeah, it's not yeah. that hard. So I, I got my first hardback. It was in 1995-ish. It was the Cave Monsters, and I think actually it was a Target book that had been. Um, turned into a hardback by the library. Okay. And I, I went searching. So I used to go to the reference library to get copies of Book Collector, <laughs> right, which is a little A5 <laughs> yep. magazine. And then I would send letters to every British bookshop that said sci-fi or children's wow. books. Wow. Letters, handwritten or typed handwritten letters. Handwritten letters. <laughs> to like every single days. one. Yeah. And that's how actually I built up a huge bulk of my collection was right. I could get letters back. Yeah, I've got this, this, this. and it's like 50, 15 books. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Crazy. And there was another time when when eBay was new, right? And I was living in England, and some guy was selling nine hardbacks, Ooh. and in the U.S. Huh. So oh. I bid forty five dollars, which is about all I had. <laughs> I was a poor student, and yeah. I won. Wow. So my parents uh, were visiting England a few months later, and they brought this big box of Doctor Who hardbacks, and I open up the five Doctors. And it's full of scribbles. Like, oh my God, this book's in a horrible condition. It's got, oh, that's John Perry's autograph. Oh, that's Tom <laughs> Baker. That's Patrick Trout. That's Elizabeth Slayton. Oh, like, someone took Jackpot. the book to that that Chicago convention right. 83 where everyone wow, was there. Where everyone was there. Okay. And they all signed it. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, it's signed Terrence, everything. It's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's so, worth having. Well, that, I, mean, I, could, I couldn't afford that if it was for sale now. But like, the, that was the joy. Before everything got easy on the internet, of, of it was the it was the hunt. It was the finding yep. those rare finds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked into a bookshop in England when I lived there, and and the, the person was literally putting them on the shelf. Uh, <laughs> it was it was first edition Genesis of the Daleks, three Doctors, Planet of the first edition hardbacks, mm-hmm. not ex library, putting them on the shelf. I said. I'll take all of those. Yeah. I said, how much? I don't know, 10 pound each? Done. Bro. Right? Like, I found the Dutch hardback Doctor Who and the Daleks. The, mm-hmm. Again, it was early days of the internet. And so I was searching for secondhand bookshops in Holland. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I found one. And I sent an email in English saying, do you happen to have 
Durhu and D Daleks. I wrote back saying, yes, six euros. I said, done. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, uh-huh. and I mean, now it's like a 200 pound book or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But in those days, you could find stuff. And now every time one of the hardbacks, I was, we were talking about targets, I have the complete run mm-hmm. of the hardbacks from start to finish. And the only targets I have are the ones that didn't come out in hardback. Right. Um, but But getting those hardbacks, you could get them, you could afford them. Mm-hmm. Now they've become so insanely expensive. Right. It's not even. I don't think they're selling for three or four hundred pounds. People are just listing them for three or four hundred pounds, right. mm-hmm. and they're right. just sitting there, yeah. not being sold for three or four hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. Because with Doctor Who fans, a lot of us have the completionist gene. Yes, and so sellers know that if they can stick it out there, sooner or later, somebody's just someone's going to break. Gonna yeah. go, I can't take anymore. This is the last one. I'm going to buy this yeah, for yeah, five hundred yeah. pounds. Right, but the cost, I mean, the cost is crazy. And it's, I really wonder, um, you know, so someone offered me a, a, a big wad of, of Dosh <laughs> for my, for my, uh, my collection. Um, and I wasn't ready to sell because uh, I, it took me 25 years to build that collection. Yeah. I'm very proud of the hardback collection. I've also got all the annuals, Invasion from Space, Dalek Outer Space Book, all, this, all right. the holy grails that all we all good saw stuff, as, yeah. as old time Doctor Who fans, we all collect. Oh, Dalek Outer Space. No, it was the Invasion from Space. Mm-hmm. That was the best. She, I, I found it when Advanced Book Exchange was brand new. It might have been from some other, it wasn't even AB, it was some other mm-hmm. like online bookshop. Right. And she said, it's it, there's some damage on the cover. It's 35 pounds. Right. I didn't have a lot of money back then. Yeah. So I said, okay. Uh, and, and I'm hemming him, I'm asking about the damage. She says, look, someone else wants it. Do you want it? <laughs> Fine, 35 pounds. Okay, it arrives. There's like a one millimeter by one millimeter oh. nick on the spine. Okay, <laughs> apart from that, it's never an open. I can live with that. Okay, so I was like, I'll, I'll live with that. I'll live with that. Right. So, and it's all about finding gems, those yeah. those gems, right? And that's that's what I'm saying. And and that unfortunately mm-hmm. is lost now. You can't find those gems because everyone can Google. Yeah. See, oh, this is going for five hundred pounds. I'm mm-hmm. going to put five hundred pounds on the price. Yeah, and, and even so, it's e- so hard to find. I mean, even you know, even the smallest used bookstore, because everyone's heard of Doctor Who now. Again, as you say, all they they got to do is like tap in the title of the book, and they, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll put we'll put right. twenty bucks on that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So you know, I even even I mean, I just bought uh, one of the BBC mock books that I was wanting to read. The you know the. Uh, uh, it was uh, uh, the Time Travelers by Simon Gurrier, which is a book I've been right. wanting to read for ages. But you know, you can't find that for less than you know twenty five dollars right. um, anywhere, right, right. because everybody knows that someone is going to buy it for that amount of money. So that kind of thrill of the chase thing is kind of it's still fun, but it's like ah, uh, it, it's really now trying to find the <laughs> cheapest one <laughs> yeah, rather than exactly. one at all. You know, exactly. yeah. I had I had a fun experience with with the new adventures. There was. I think it was Lung Barrow was really, right, really right. rare. Okay, this is around 2000, 2001. And I know I was on eBay. I was selling stuff on eBay. And I am buying stuff on eBay. Um, I've been on since the beginning. And uh, and I saw that um, it was selling for like $50 US on eBay.com. But I went to the, the bookstore mm-hmm. Chapters, which is the Canadian yeah. brand of bookstore, and on their website, it was four dollars. Oh. So there I ordered, I ordered, yeah. I ordered ten. Ah, <laughs> no way, really. And then, and then every three weeks, it's like sixty bucks, <laughs> sixty bucks, nice. fantastic, seventy bucks. Oh, right. fantastic! And then, and then I had one left, and I discovered that the eBay.com, it wasn't, it was only getting like twenty five dollars, mm-hmm. right? But one sold on eBay.co.uk 
for like 75 pounds. I thought, what? It's like just people, list, come on. It's called mail. You yeah. don't have to be in the same country. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I went out to eBay.co.uk and I listed it there 103 pounds. Nice. Right. And the, 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 the winning bidder, I emailed him. I was actually moving to England the next week. I said, do you want me to send this from Canada or do you want me to bring it with me to England and send it from there? Oh, no, send it from Canada. That's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wow. 103 pounds. And then the same week, I won an auction for, uh, this doesn't how long ago it was, it was for the, the original White Lion Crusaders hardback. Oh, great. That yeah. was Tom Baker on the cover mm-hmm. of A William Hartnell Story mm-hmm. um, that was print- printed in 75 for 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. So I ended up like up 50 pounds on the deal. <laughs> nice. Right? And you can imagine now, Lung Barrel is probably five bucks and that li- White Lion mm. Crusaders is probably 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But uh, like, again, those are the types of things you could do. And then now it's impossible. Yeah. So I feel like we're three old farts. So, you know, <laughs> in my day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wonder. I mean, I wonder whether because I mean, when I was you know starting to collect things, you know, I don't know, eighties, nineties. Um, well, actually, when I first started coming to, to to America, like the big thing that like people were collecting was kind of Elvis. Right. And like the bottom of that market has just collapsed. I mean, no one collects Elvis stuff anymore. Huh. And I guess well, I, the, the fans are dying off. Exactly. And and I think the the good one another good example is from Britain. Like Dan Dare stuff used to be really really expensive. Like all the Eagle right. comics and the original art and all that kind of stuff. And again, that is starting to kind of age out. Um, and I and I often wonder whether that will happen with who. But then conversely, I think well actually maybe that won't happen with who because there is so much of it. And it is an ongoing show. I mean, I guess it, I guess it it'll, it might go on hiatus again. I'm wondering whether actually, you know, the the collector market for who will always be there in some way. Hmm. It will always be there, but it does have its ebbs and flows. Yeah, right. True, so true. it's always the same thing. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, Lionel trains were very popular in the 1950s. Okay. And then as they were, as you want to buy one in the 1990s, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And then in the last 10 years, all the owners have all gone on right, right. <laughs> died they've, they've they're pushing up the daisies and yeah. now the market's flooded with lionel train so if you want to get a lionel train it isn't so expensive anymore also the people who remember having them in the 40s and 50s aren't there a lot of them aren't alive anymore yeah, right yeah. so yeah. there's that or a friend of mine his parents just passed away recently and their house was full of victorian antiques gorgeous victorian right. antiques and they paid top dollar for these and when the agent came in who was going to sell all the content said you got any mid-century modern? Mid-century oh, modern. Because yep. nobody yeah. wants Victorian antiques now. They want mid-century modern. No so Victorian stuff. antiques are way out. So with Doctor Who, I said someone offered me a huge amount of money for my Doctor Who collection. I'd say that's probably at the peak right now. Right. If I, I am holding on to it, if I wanted to sell this collection in 20 years, I'm not going to get even in the same number. Forget about inflation. I won't get as high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think right now we're at the peak. The other side of the coin, though, with Doctor Who is that it's not like a, you know, Lionel trains were big in the 40s and 50s and then tapered off quickly. Right. Okay. Doctor Who, there's a whole bunch of us old farts who are fans of Doctor right. Who. And there's a whole bunch of people who are teenagers who are fans of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And as those people get older and they start getting more money, mm-hmm. they might decide, well, why don't I start collecting all those hardbacks? Why don't I go collect all those Target right. books? And that's an opportunity to have a second wave and a third wave and a fourth wave because you've got new fans now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's, I, it's amazing. I read these letters in DWM. And it's like, oh, I remember my first memory of Doctor Who was Rose. I was four years old. Yep. It's like, yeah. you were four years old at Rose. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that last Wednesday? <laughs> uh, 
that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. So, and these people are now in university mm-hmm. who were four years old mm-hmm. when Rose was broadcast. Right. Yeah. So, so they're adults, they're young adults now. And those, as, as they move, you know, people aren't spending, I wasn't spending big money on Doctor Mm-mm. Who when I was 25 Mm-mm. or 20. Yeah. I didn't have it. Yeah. But I'm in my 40s now and I'm, you know, midlife crisis. Okay. I need, I need a Dalek. I need a TARDIS. <laughs> right. Like, come on. Right. I, I need to get, I, I'm, I'm missing a Revenge of the Cybermen head. That's my next, I need a Revenge of the Cybermen head. I just keep waiting for you to show up with a, a Who Mobile or Bessie in one. <laughs> oh, that'll be cool. That'll be cool. Now, the, the, the problem with the TARDIS is so it can come apart mm-hmm. with great difficulty. Um, it's made of MDF. It's extremely heavy. It weighs yeah. like 300, 400 pounds. Wow. Um, it does have wheels, so you can move it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had it in the corner of the warehouse, and then we had a leak, and the MDF expanded, so it's never coming apart again. Oh my god! Right. Wow. <laughs> so in order to get the TARDIS, we actually we took it to a train show because it was a British show, and we wanted to have it. We had right. a TARDIS there. Right. And we I think we had the, we didn't have a Dalek then. We had something else to just to have we have the British right. feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And we had to rent a truck <laughs> to get this TARDIS. So the train show costs us like $300. The truck costs us $700. <laughs> and and, and my, my employees said, was this really necessary? <laughs> Do you know how hard it was to move that damn TARDIS from the truck to, <laughs> to yeah. the floor? Holy moly. It doesn't dematerialize by itself. <laughs> no, no. It's a big, heavy, and it's not even full size. Because uh, oh. a full size police box is 10 feet tall. Uh-huh. Ours is about nine feet okay. tall. Right. It's like it's like studio size. Right. It's not full size. Right, okay. Uh, my, friend, my friend Emmanuel has a website, policeboxes.com, and he's actually, he's a nut about police boxes. And mm-hmm. talking about the chase, um, he and I used to go all over England finding different police box models. Well, now, right. if he were to buy every police box model, his wife would have left him <laughs> because the yeah. cost. Like, like he got a bunch of Stuart Evans police box. Stuart Evans used to go to the shows. You remember Sevens? Oh, yeah, Sevens. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Stuart used to go to memorabilia before it was Comic Con when memorabilia was filled with nerdy men and not beautiful women. Right. Okay. Right. It was filled with nerdy men like us. <laughs> and and and. We went and we'd always just chatting with Stuart and over like three memorabilia shows, Stuart kept telling Emmanuel, you know, I have a three foot high TARDIS. You know, <laughs> I have a three foot high TARDIS. And finally, like on the third show, he said, all right, fine, I'll take it. <laughs> so we, we ended up driving down. home with this this three foot high. Uh-huh. So, it, it, so now he moved from England to Canada and in his condo apartment in Toronto is this three foot high TARDIS <laughs> along with 150 other TARDIS. Yeah. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's become like, you imagine, think about, talk about being a completist. In the 90s, mm-hmm. we could get everything yes yes everything yes okay there is so much that comes out now Mm -hmm. it's just like even just big i can't afford to get all the big finishes every month right no no god no you buy everyone it's like 200 pounds a month Mm -hmm. it's like i can't afford that Mm -hmm. i mean even if i could afford to get all the big finishes a month i haven't got time to listen to them that's the thing that's the the worst thing for my big finish audio experience is covid because i listen to big finish to and from work and right. now I'm home. <laughs> right. I, I've listened to two stories in the last eight months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 People depend yeah. on that commute time for podcasts too, because that's where a lot of listeners were in that commute time. And now with the people at home, they're everyone's at home. You know, they go from work and to dinner. It's 
five minutes, less than five minutes. Yes. And there's just not yes. that built-in buffer time where you're transitioning yeah. from work to, you know, domestic life. Yeah, no, true. That's been a problem for all of us is that the boundaries get blurred. Yep. And yeah. um, some of my employees say they, they want to work from home forever. Mm-hmm. Yep. And other of my employees say, I got to go to the office. Right. Like I, I, yeah. I, everything's melding together and I feel like I'm working 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, so that, that's the challenge. And having that buffer to listen to a Doctor Who, to listen to a podcast. I mean, that was... That was my commute for, I don't right. know, 15 years. It was Doctor Who, a big finish, yep. right? That was my commute for 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I do miss it. But it, with three kids in the house, it's hard to find the time. Mm-hmm. Right to right. uh to like, you know I could do it while I'm doing my other hobbies, but I want you want to focus when you're driving. It's perfect dead time. Yep. You can focus on the intricacies of a Gallifrey plot. Yep. Okay? <laughs> you can't do that while you're doing something else right. because yeah. it's too damn confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Which Ramon is talking? Which canine? Right. What's going on right. here? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's you'd fear Moffat doing kind of any audio drama because you'd have to just kind of focus with <laughs> laser. <laughs> precision on what you're doing (laughs) so i know you went to university of birmingham for uh art history but oh hang on it didn't go to university of birmingham ben will tell you okay went to the university of birmingham birmingham birmingham's in alabama birmingham is in west midlands yes birmingham birmingham okay birmingham was it doctor who that brought you to england or was it uh education or was it something something more I think that um, I always knew I would live in England at some point, and that's hmm. entirely I could I could pretend it's for another reason, but you know it's not. It's all Doctor Who. I mean, I would spend so my friend Emmanuel. I didn't have a car, right. so I was traveling around by train. My yeah. friend Emmanuel would drive from London to Birmingham, and then it's like every Sunday he would come, but once a month to the point where people in Birmingham thought he lived there, uh-huh. um, and he would come. He was I was married. He wasn't married, so he'd come and stay with us for the weekend. Right. Um, and, uh, and we made it, so my wife's a writer and she would have to write every Sunday. So we would, she just get out. So we'd go and buy food <laughs> and then we would go to Tibet, right. which is, uh, the Conway Valley in, Wales. Uh, uh, in Wales, Wales they, yeah. actually, exactly. Which is where they filmed a uh, bomb little snowman. Love going to Tibet. We go to Tibet all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And then we would go to East Hagborn where they filmed the Android invasion. Right. We would go to to uh, the Cheddar Gorge where they filmed yep. uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. I mean, we went to Doctor Who locations everywhere. Wow. So for me, like like the UK is all about, let's go see where they filmed. <laughs> and so the, the final, I guess the last straw on, we had a mutual friend who would sometimes join us and he lived in Bognor Regis. And as someone would know, Bognor Regis is not far from where they filmed Terror of the Zygons. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get a photograph. It was all about taking pictures of, yeah. you remember after the doctor escapes from, from the, uh, the Scarisand, he's on this bit of road, <laughs> this bit of road on Climping Beach. Right. And, and, and that's when he's, uh, the brigadier finds him with, with Sarah in the car, right. in the Jeep, and he gets him. Okay. So we went looking. I wanted to recreate that photo. We went looking <laughs> for, a bit of road in Climping. <laughs> Our friend Bernard, who was with us, said, I just spent two hours looking for a bit of road in Climping. It's like, what is wrong with you people? Right. Well, then there's there was this B road in Wales where they filmed the five doctors. Right. And so we're, we're heading out to this B road and we're looking for the big boulder that the master walked. Uh, uh, walk, we have you know, printouts mm-hmm, of, mm-hmm. from the screen and, we're like, right, and then we right. realized that it was a prop. So we were looking now for a bit of road in Wales with no rock beside it. <laughs> in fact, in that, if you look at if you look at the the famous publicity shot of of um, I think it's Jamie and Victoria 
cowering away from a, a, a Yeti beside the TARDIS, yes. which was filmed up in, I think it's called the Derwent Valley up near Conway. Um, so so uh, that famous shot has a big boulder in the foreground. So we, of course, we've been there so many times, we always look for that boulder. We can't find the boulder. So Emmanuel looks at the photo, he enlarges the photo and sees the, there's a little MB written on the boulder. And Emmanuel's <laughs> convinced that that stands for medium boulder. <laughs> that it came from the props department because it's not there already. It's definitely not there. Ugh. That boulder is gone. <laughs> well, now you can just Photoshop it in. So. There you go. Just Photoshop <laughs> it in. Back in those days, how were you finding out where locations were? Was that so, kind of Rec Arts Who and stuff? Or? So we first had, there was that, that location book from like 1984 <laughs> that said if, oh, well, if you wanted to go to Leeds Castle, you had to yeah. go to King's Cross, take the train to Leeds, but Leeds, to Leeds Castle's in... Leeds Castle's in Kent. <laughs> so, <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, so we started with that, and then uh, Richard Bignall's wonderful Doctor Who on Location came out when I was in England. Oh, um, that's an amazing that book. I love that book. A, I still use it. So I yeah. know you can look at everything on the internet, but my eight-year-old and I watch Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and then he'll often ask me, like, where is that? Right. You yeah. know, so we were just watching Day of the Daleks. Where's that bridge? Mm-hmm. Where's that tunnel? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and where's where did he get? So I, I take out the book, and there you go. It's, it's find it right away. It's much easier than searching the internet. It's like, I'm, I'm old school. Mm-hmm. I actually still have the, um, what's it called? The, um, it's the, the, not the TARDIS data bank, the Matrix data bank, the one that had those. Or is it the, the Terrestrial Index? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the actors yeah. listed in it. Yes. Jean-Marc Lefichier. Yes. So I still have the three Jean-Marc Lefichier books. Mm-hmm. Right. And I will, rather than searching online, I will Thumb still flip them. open the book. <laughs> yeah. Flip through them, yeah. That's it's the way like, you do it. Oh, he was in Serial VV. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Habit, fan habits die hard. And I always yeah. reference my books too. And it's sort of like, wait, I have a PDF of this. I could just do a full text search <laughs> of this. Why am I doing this? But no, I, I go upstairs, I go into the bookshelf, pull down the Doctor Who reference books. Again, talk about the time in the 90s when, remember when the House Stammers Walker books came out? Yeah, the 60s, right. the 70s, 80s. Mm-hmm. That was, oh my God, look at all these Doctor Who things in one space. Mm-hmm. It was like that was eye-opening. I'm this when when David Banks wrote the Cybermen book. Yeah, right. That right. was where we got our information. Because yeah. initially, I had like two books. I had the Monster book, or I had, I had the Monster book. I had Celebration, mm-hmm. and I right. had like Making of a Television Series. Like that's all we had, right? Mm-hmm. But now, in in the '90s, we had all these amazing books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 I, so my son will often get. I'll buy him new Who books if I see them on sale, right. or whatever. Because so, it's all the same stuff regurgitated. Right. And I really, I want to look. If I want to look at pictures, I want to look at pictures of like Silurians from the '70s. Yes. I don't want to look right. at pictures of stuff so and so i say to my son where's the where's the program guy mm-hmm. what are you talking about where's the list of all the shows with their program codes and like they don't do that anymore right. no, you know, no i can't do it now but when i was 15 you gave me any program code <laughs> you could <laughs> you, you know, could, bbb you ccc right, right. you know 4z i knew what show it was right, right? and then we all did mm-hmm. We yeah, should, we should have you on it. the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I've forgotten it all. I've forgotten it all. Okay, all right. But anyway, again, find like 16-year-old me or 15-year-old me, get me mm-hmm. on the quiz. But that was all That was all part of it, mm-hmm. right? Because it, right. It, was, it was a much more limited world. Mm-hmm. And so we, we got to know it so much better. It was a finite period of time, and you could really focus in on those 26 years. Exactly. And memorize everything. Like you said, collect everything. And then when the VHSs started coming, I had to think really long and hard. Do I want to get rid of my off-the-air collections and replace it? Because it's all money. Do I? These were $24 right, right. Uh, U.S. 
uh, a piece. I remember uh, for in the later '80s and in the early '90s. Do I want to spend this money? And I always always focus on focusing on ones that I didn't have off the air to kind of fill in the gaps. Like Tomb of the Cybermen was a, a no brainer. Obviously, get that yeah. one right away. I got that one from the UK and took it to a place to transfer to get it from Holland. <laughs> I couldn't wait. I couldn't yeah, wait for Tomb of the Cybermen, and I still love it to this day. Mm-hmm. I, I I was not let down mm-hmm. with Tomb. Mm-hmm. We had a whole thing. We got like we we took an evening. We had the lights out. We had like ten of us in the room. Mm-hmm. We oh like Tomb of the Cybermen. That was phenomenal. Did you have the same yeah. kind of reaction when uh, Enemy was returned and most of the web was returned? Did you did you wait? To... Of course, okay. <laughs> of course, of course. I know that was so. In that case, though, I as soon as they were available online, I I downloaded. I own the DVDs now, right. but I downloaded them from iTunes. Right, or whatever right, it was right, at the time. right. I couldn't wait, mm-hmm. and we just closed the lights and like, oh my god, this is. And I mean that that music, Space Adventure. Mm-hmm. Which is it's Tomb of the Cybermen and it's Web of Fear. It's my favorite music. Da, da, I like da, da, oh, da. <laughs> oh, love it. And and people will complain that the production team in the seventies. Oh my god, would you believe they used all that stock audio no, in the sixties? Like it's awesome stock audio. It's like that's the Cyberman theme. In fact, this is that's the Monster Season right, theme. Right, right. Like, that was the, the mm-hmm, music. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, it's all about those, those wonderful memories. But more than that, mm-hmm. I actually I'm now reading. Every issue of Countdown and TV Action oh. from this from the start. So those were comics that came out in the early seventies. The Dalek comics? No, though that, that was TV twenty one in the sixties. This okay. was in the early seventies. It had John Pertwee comics in it, but oh, it also oh. had like um, a Thunderbirds and and, yeah. and Lady Penelope and and right, Stingray right, right. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, I found them at a antique market in toronto canada oh you're joking so yeah you, i found oh. i found like 12 or 15 and right. since then i've You've been got kind the of filling them in that was yeah it was yeah. 25 30 years ago i've got the whole set now yeah um and but i never read them huh. right and so now i'm going in order and i'm on issue i'm just, I, apollo 15 just happened i'm so excited <laughs> oh, they just yeah. reached they just reached the moon i'm reading all about space Perfect. except it's 50 years out of date <laughs> <laughs> That's how the whole nostalgia backfills in because these are the things that were happening as we were in kids. But, you know, as kids, you, you kind of hear them in the background. Like my earliest news right. memory is Watergate. And now you right. know, I know all about Watergate. But it's sort of like all these things backfill. And then you look at, okay, what was going on with Doctor Who then? Okay, what was going on with uh, Greater Society oh, and the news yeah. and stuff? And it's all connected. Well, the, the, the John Pertwee era, I mean, it is my favorite era of the show. Mm-hmm. It was a very topical era. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, I mean, it was first of all influenced by the whole late 60s, the Saint spy type shows, thriller shows, mm-hmm. you know, UFO and all that stuff. But but it was very much influenced by current events. And I think uh, Malcolm Hulk had a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. as did Barry Lance. Mm-hmm. Right. right. But Malcolm Hulk was very much, he was a member of the Communist Party, yep, right? Yep, so he was, he, was, yeah. he was quite on the left side of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he brought he brought that sort of social commentary. And, and I'll, I'll give you my, my honest opinion, which will upset a lot of fans. I felt in the most recent series of Doctor Who, it, it was like Malcolm Holt taken to a factor of 10. Mm-hmm. It was shoved down your throat, the social commentary. Whereas in the 70s, it was just subtle enough that you mm. can get the message across. Well, so we all grew up sort of, I don't know, uh, osmosis getting these messages right. of, of we gotta clean up, we gotta clean up the planet, we have to look out for the little guy, et cetera, et cetera. Get off oil. Right. Whereas, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Come on. If it's a, a terror of the Zygons, right. part one. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, but, but, um, I felt now it's like it was in your face. So for me, yeah. and, you know, my, I'm in my middle, in my middle ages, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's like, a, okay, come on. I really, this is too much. Right. But my son, who's 15, it really spoke to him. Wow. And he, 
he has no patience for classic who whereas he'll watch every new who episode huh, and he found the ones he loved the most like the one about plastic infiltrating the microplastics yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 he loved all that stuff huh. and here's the thing hey, i can't even i'm talking about random throwaway lines and episodes from 1975 mm-hmm. but i can't remember the names of the stuff i watched <laughs> last year <laughs> well it's it's i mean as an old cranky old fan it's sort of like yeah it's not the same as in the 70s but your son's example shows that they're making what's right for today's children to keep oh, them involved in doctor who yeah it's a kid's show mm-hmm. yeah it's not it's not for us right that's what yeah, big yeah. finish is for yeah we're in our we're like honestly if you look at like the average age of reader of, of dwm it's like 40 or something right, like that, right? it's right. like it's like a 40 year old male mm-hmm. you know it's like great it's like typical doctor who yep. fan right we're in our 40s and our 50s and we're guys mm-hmm. and we're lonely <laughs> no, we're right. thing is now we're all now we're all married and we have kids right, and stuff right. right but but um we were lonely guys mm-hmm. um but for a long time that's the, the <laughs> but that but that's that's like the hardcore doctor who fandom that's not the mass market. You can't make money on a show if you just appeal to us. And I feel that's actually where I've been rewatching a lot of the 80s stuff because my I often say, yeah, I kind of peter out after uh, season 19, right? Yeah, it's right. like, yeah. you know, it's like yeah. I'm, I'm really into the 70s mm-hmm. and the 60s. 70s, but, yeah. 70s and 60s. <laughs> right. So so lately, because uh, because my, my son's been asking, he's my youngest, I've got three kids and he's my youngest and he's, he's been asking to watch all these shows that I haven't watched since the 80s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we watched Revelation of the Daleks recently and mm-hmm. we, um, we, we he wanted to watch Castro Valva and all this stuff. And some of the stuff in the early 80s during uh, JNT's time, yep. and I'm not one of these anti-JNT guys. I'm not like stuck in the whole DWB feuds of 1987. <laughs> right. uh, but, but, but if you look at it, it, it was too self-referential. Right. It was too much appealing to us. Right. Okay. And it was really hardcore nerdy fandom stuff. Mm-hmm. And the average, like I watched Arc of Infinity a couple of years ago for the first time since maybe, you know, 1992. Right. Okay. And I said, Oh my God! A normal person cannot follow this right, crap. Right. It's yeah. like there's no way. Mm-hmm. You have to know every Gallifrey story. You need the three doctors. You need the three doctors. <laughs> you need to have watched uh, Invasion of Time. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. Right. And then that whole season of every every episode references stuff from the. I, I, I get the idea as a fan. I love it. Mm-hmm. Right. Having the brigadier having talking about where Sergeant Benton. Great. Right. The average person has no clue. Right. 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 Okay. And it, and and so. I think that that the uh, the team now running the show has the right idea. They they can't just appeal to us mm-hmm. because they'll the the show will end up spiraling mm-hmm. like it did in the eighties. Yeah, you know personally, I don't mind if they go off and do their own thing. What I don't like is looping back and then changing my little comfortable area of the sixties and seventies. So just let me have my little bubble right. Doctor Who bubble universe, right. self contained in nineteen. Oh, but come on, come on! In in nineteen ninety six. They they put, suddenly the doctor had a, a human mother yeah and then we all for, we all deliberately forgot that okay it's like it's it, it never happened <laughs> it never it never happened right. all right yeah. so any my view of this is that that and, and I mean if this is to do with fandom it's you can write a book about this mm-hmm. uh, in fact I think that we I have that was that book from the eighties about that right about Doctor Fandom um, but um, the unfolding text was that the one? Yeah. yeah. Or then, yeah. Then, there was, then there was then there was watching Doctor Who and Star Trek. That was one from the nineties. Mm. Oh yeah. So mm-hmm. we as fans, especially the older fans, we like everything to be tied up in that bag of nostalgia, that box of nostalgia, and we don't want that to change, mm-hmm. right? And when people making the show today, just like you were saying, when they change that, right. we feel something. It's a personal loss, right? 
It's something that's come away from uh, you've taken you've taken part of my identity <laughs> away from me, yeah. and it's yeah. true. Mm-hmm. I mean, I you the three of us have spent our whole lives growing up with Doctor Who. Right, it's part of our identity, mm-hmm. right? And 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 there's a, people making the show now. They made a living. They're making a living off of their fandom, right? Right, they are Doctor Who fans, mm-hmm. who and there's look, count them, count all the Doctor Who fans who are now writing the books, writing the scripts, right, making the show, etc., all the way from Russell D. Davis onwards, mm-hmm. and and so it's it's like a part of our identity, and so yeah, there's an element almost, of, and this is taken out of context, people think we're crazy, but there is an element of feeling of betrayal when mm. you take that very comfortable space that is part of our identity and you change it mm-hmm. yeah. but reality is doctor who's done that all the time yes it always did that and when deadly assassin came out the fans in 1977 hated yep. hated yep. that he made that 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 philip hinchcliffe made gallifrey into the boring british made it into <laughs> yes prime minister right i mean like that's that's what that was gallifrey right, right? right. it was the bureaucracy mm-hmm. of, of of the uk so so we say that this is now that they're going back in, but they doctor has been doing that since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, just, yeah. just with the war games and the introduction of the time Lords itself, you know, Pertwee was the first time Lord doctor. It wasn't Hartnell. Yep. It wasn't uh, Troughton at all. It's Pertwee. Oh. Spirit from space. Episode one is when we saw the second heart. That yep. was Spirit yep. from space. Yep. Episode one. We take that as that. gospel, but that was Spirit from space. Episode mm-hmm. one, you yeah. know, and when, when the doctor says, you know, we live practically forever barring accidents, mm-hmm. uh, war games, part 10, you know, like this is, it's all new stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. fandom yeah. was in, in its infancy back then, mm-hmm. but by by 1977, Deadly Assassin, fandom was going full swing. Right. And yeah. there was a feeling of betrayal. Yeah. Right. But mm-hmm. that's why we, as the hardcore old time fans, mm-hmm. should not be making new Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I remember when Doctor Who came out, uh, when, when, it was, when it was relaunched, a lot of a discussion on on uh rec arts doctor who or even onto mm-hmm. the outpost yeah, gallifrey yep. was was people saying essentially you could tell they were all frustrated doctor who producers <laughs> okay. yeah. they, all, they all wanted to be a writer producer doctor who right. if i were doing it my way it would be like this 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 and this mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying like i have no ability to write an <laughs> doctor who. i can't produce one i can't film one i can do nothing right, okay right. i'm just gonna watch and enjoy right but i don't because i'm not a frustrated uh a film student or or, or film right. producer or whatever right but it's a lot of these guys they and what they didn't like was the change mm-hmm. they didn't like it changing mm-hmm. from the neat package that it was very tight had yep. of the original mm-hmm. exactly very tiny yeah, yeah. 26 years all all in a box all on a shelf you could have everything <laughs> Yeah. Damn you, Big yeah. Finish! You make too much stuff. Yeah. Well, even in the early days of Big Finish, you could keep up. So it was. It's. I did. Yeah. I did keep up. I kept up. I think I got to like hundred and something of the monthly releases before I started to. Oh boy. <laughs> Step back. Up anymore. I got up to fifty, and then it, and then maybe I got a few, and it was like I can't do this. This is too. Well, what expensive. I do now is I'll, I'll get certain sets, so I get all the Fourth Doctor. Adventures, right. you know, yeah. I, get, I get certain certain things. All of the Third Doctor adventures, I love those. Yeah. I try and get all the companion stuff, the companion chronicles. Yeah. But yeah. the main range, I'll dip in. I'll get like yep. if it's if it's um, uh, Nissa, Tegan, and Adric, I'll I'll get those mm-hmm. right, right, that kind right, of right, thing. Right. So yeah, you know, just so I can have that dose of nostalgia. Gotta love, yeah. you gotta love. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I love countermeasures. Wow, that's a great, huh. that's a um, great set. You have listened to it yet? No, no I've not, so, not listened to those. Yeah. So countermeasures takes the the guest cast from Remembrance of the Daleks. Remembrance, right? And they have this whole like 1970s uh, hit spy of the week type thing and it's great Uh because it's again it's all appealing to nostalgia right 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 right. (laughs) of the 70s Uh 
Well, uh, Nick Briggs really taps that vein very well, and he knows what he's yeah. doing. <laughs> yeah, no, and he's another true. example of a hardcore fan like us mm-hmm. who's made it into his his living. Mm-hmm. It's his way of yeah. life, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's how he earns his, his pay. And I think that's fantastic. I, yeah. For me, it's model trains. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm I earn a living making model trains. Mm-hmm. And when when someone asked me when before I moved to England, they said, "What are your, you know, what do you what are your plans?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, my plans are I'm going to move to England and get a PhD and maybe a." A professor or something right, in art history right uh but that's not what i want to do and she said well what do you want to do i want to make model trains all day <laughs> <laughs> and so you made it possible i was lucky enough yeah, yeah. i was lucky enough yeah. that i'm one of the few people to do it. so the same way that nick briggs did it with doctor who and russell davis well he did it with whole television but nick briggs specifically doctor who mm-hmm. um or gary russell with doctor who um I've, I've done it with model trains and I, and I think that it's if you can do it if you can turn your love your passion into a career mm-hmm. you just have so much to be grateful for mm-hmm. and yeah. i think all doctor who fans i know it's it's a real solace for a lot of people to watch doctor who and to escape from the troubles especially now right. in covid and and, and politics right, right. um and lockdown so it's it's it is wonderful to have mm-hmm. something like this to just go and have that wonderful space to go and, and be at peace with your uh, the excitement of the new stories and the memories of the old ones, mm-hmm. yeah. and ev- everyone should everyone should have a passion like Doctor Who or Model Trains right. that they can or turn both. to in times of crisis, <laughs> or both, as in our case, yeah, both yeah. exactly. So with Doctor Who, one of my uh, wishes always is when we're Ben and I always would do a rundown of what to expect in the next season, and I'm always hoping that we'll do some kind of story with involving trains in the UK because we had a Mark of the Ronnie where we had uh, I think Stevenson or whatever, and we'd have all these things for trains in the UK. Flatline was very good. Flatline was very good. That had yep. the uh, the the train. I, they got like an old DMU set mm-hmm. that they were used for that, like a class 10, 103 or something. And then she landed on a train in uh, Wunderfeld to Earth. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but no, the, and they really All those Sheffield sprinters. There needs to be, <laughs> there needs to be a yeah, I've yeah, nodding donkeys they call them. Um, but they, they actually, I think it was a class one hundred and fifty. It wasn't a sprinter. Well, the sprinters okay. are one hundred and fifties too. Don't get, don't get me talking train nerd stuff. Now, All right, okay, bore, okay. Bore, bore all your listeners. Um, but no, I think there needs to be a Doctor Who story on the Canadian. The Canadian is a train that goes from Toronto to Vancouver. And it takes three and a half days. Right. Okay. Yeah. That is a wonderful. Forget your murder on the Orange Express thing type. Like this is this is like you know, I don't know, Zarbi on the Canadian. Or something like that. <laughs> Zarbi <laughs> like... on the Canadian. <laughs> but that I would love to see. And I actually, you know, when there when there was old old car seats in the TARDIS, I wanted to say, I have train seats. I'll send you train seats. We put train seats in the TARDIS. Perfect. Yeah. Um, because I do have train seats, and if anyone on the Doctor Who production team is watching and you want train seats, let me know. I'll get you train seats. <laughs> I'll also get you access to the Canadian, because I do a lot of work with V-Rail Canada. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's funny, very, a quick aside, when I lived in England, people in England have no concept. You guys who are listening, who are in the UK, you, you'll get this, and people who've been to the UK will appreciate it. So uh, no concept of distance in North America. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in the UK, you have to go up the M1, there's like a service centers every hour. 10, 20 miles, and they have hotels. And to a North America, they say, you can drive from London to Scotland in seven hours. 
white in a hotel, <laughs> right? But distances in the UK, it's like, oh, no, no, I can't drive two hours. You crazy? I need to stop for a yeah. rest on the way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we, uh, we had friends in England who said, I want to go visit Canada. I want to take, uh, how are you going to get around? Well, I'm going to take the train. I thought I would do Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. I said, okay, stop for a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me tell you about the train. I've taken the train to Vancouver. Let me tell you about that train. So I live in the province of Ontario. And you get on the train in the morning and you have lunch in Ontario and you have supper in Ontario and you go to bed in Ontario and you wake up in Ontario. <laughs> you have breakfast and lunch in Ontario. And a few hours after lunch, you get into Manitoba. That's the next province. And of course, their their, their jaw is dropping like, what? What? And then, and then you have three more provinces after that before you mm-hmm. get to Vancouver. So you're on the train for about, oh, four days. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, how do you do that? Oh my God. Right. right. I just, um, I just, this is talking about Canada now. I just bought a, uh, a picture, a piece of comic art from a woman who lives in Dawson City. Oh my in God. The Yukon. That's far. And, and <laughs> yeah, and it's funny. And, she, and it's funny. She's not just a nice person. So they, they, they put it in the mail, and then I was tra- I've been tracking it on the on a Canada Post with the uh, with the with the with the tracking number. It's like it's going to arrive here in like on the twentieth of November. It's like, why is it taking so long? And then it's oh yeah, it's coming from Dawson City in the Yukon, which is literally thousands of mo- not I mean thousands of miles away. Um, yeah, Canada's a big big it's a big, big place. Big no, to be place. fair, I had something take uh, 3 weeks to get from my office to about 3 blocks away. Well, there's uh, that too. Our, yeah. our mail system is pretty terrible. And then we've got I had my record was 90 days for a book to get from Boston to Toronto. Mm. You could walk it a couple of times <laughs> I think in 90 days. It, it's something like 600 miles. It's not far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. I have a question about Doctor Who design. I'm wondering if that influenced you at all in art with because there's some really classic designers uh you know you get ray cusack you got roger murray leach barry newberry do you have any favorite designers or anything from the classic era so my my biggest design influence from doctor who is actually it's chris achilleos it's actually the illustrator right. of the target novel right. and i uh so first of all there was this holy grail of trying to get the achilleos covers because a lot of them are reissued in the 80s with new covers yeah. um and then when once i got those do you ever have the the monster book? The original monster yep. book has all the covers on the back. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I cross them off when I when I yeah. Of course, them. I, I actually nine. scanned. I scanned that in a resolution a couple of years ago, and I had it plaque laminated. It's on the wall of my office. That nice. back cover because mm. it just brings back such memories yeah. for me. Those but for great. me, the Chris Achilleos was. I mean, I know he was very influenced. People say that he he, he lifted stuff from uh, from comic art, whatever. Yeah, he did. I don't care. Yes. He brought it back. To, he brought it all together, and he introduced that style of art to a whole generation of fans. Yeah. And I used to, I you know, I I would read articles about Chris about how he would buy illustration board and which markers he would use for the pointillism, and then I would go and get the same illustration board wow. and the same markers, and I would do my own Achilleo style Doctor Who wow. book covers. And one of the things I want to do, like everyone's got a bucket list of things they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to, when I retire, I want to go back to that and do like a series for just for me, for my wall of like four Achilleo style covers for stories Wonderful. that never got the Achilleos treatment. Right. Because I, I, and that, and in fact, when I went for, I have a, a fine arts degree, my undergraduate was fine arts degree, yeah. um, visual arts. And, uh, and, and like I, I showed him my portfolio and the, the man looking at it says, 
you know, most of these are illustration. And I said, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they are. Because that's what I love. Right. <laughs> because right. I, and I, I had that Achilles cover with me is I didn't, uh, my own, my own version of the, um, of the demons that had the sort of the, the, the orange and black oh, title sequence in the background with the, um, yeah. uh, with all the pointillism, the master, right. and the doctor, whatever, you know, and that was, that was, it was great. Right. That was, yeah. that I, I, that, that has a huge influence for me that. And so I think Chris Achilles in the early days in the eighties for me, was the biggest influence. But of yeah. course, I mean, we were all influenced by it, right? I mean, I, I used to, when I was eight years old, I tried to grow sideburns to be like Tom Baker. So I just ended up letting my hair grow long. Right. And like, I do happen to be Jewish, but I look like a really, really <laughs> religious Jew, you know, with his long side locks. It's like, no, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a Hasidic Jew. I'm Tom Baker. Right. I'm Tom Baker. Right. right? And, oh. and I, my, I let my hair grow long and my hair, like I had the biggest white afro in Toronto in 1992, whatever it was. I mean, it was just, it was like, it was, it was Tom Baker multiplied by six, wow. right? But it was, it was that was influenced by Tom Baker, and I, right. and my grandmother knit me. I think it was in one of the issues of Enlightenment. They put the pattern for, um, for the season 18 scarf. Mm -hmm. So my grandma, we went, we went to this old yarn store in Montreal, and mm -hmm. we bought all the yarn, and she made a, a scarf for me. Um, and it was it was before the days where you could go and buy a season eighteen scarf right. or, a, or even a, a season twelve scarf, mm -hmm. right? It was it, those are those wonderful memories. So talk about influences, you absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're looking at the influence of of the show, uh, Robots of Death has got to be the most striking design, in my opinion. Yeah, probably almost in the history of the program. If yep. you look at, at at like talk about. That and and I'd say Voga as well from Avengers of the Cybermen. That was a that was a Roger mm. Murray Leach, I think yep. Voga. Yep, that. It was. The logo that that became the the Time Lord symbol, but was the Bogan symbol. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um and uh so those were probably for me the two most influential mm -hmm. I'd say designs was um I don't who did Robo I know that Roger Murray Ken Leach Sharp, did Ken Sharp, I think. Ken Sharp, because that, that was the, brilliant. The um the the robot designs themselves were, were designed by a woman called Rose Gerard. Brilliant, but it was all tied together. Yeah. That was really a wonderful example of the whole show having yeah. a unified yeah, design theme, yeah. right? And I felt that that on Voga as an example was another place where Voga you really felt like nice to see some women and also to see whatever, <laughs> right? But that was always oh, big. <laughs> <laughs> Big problem in 1970s Doctor Who is, yeah, it was Pamela Salmon, you know, that was about it. Uh, right. But but that design, that consistency, mm -hmm. I think when when a designer like Roger Murleach can create that, that and work with Friedlander, whoever, to create that right. sort of whole symbiosis. Mm -hmm. It's very similar in, even though there's a whole bunch of corridors, I think of Genesis of the Daleks, the bunker Genesis of the Daleks. The Daleks... Right. And the bunker reflect each other. Right. They have a right. very similar aesthetic to each other. Right. Right. And I think that's that's it's brilliant design. Mm -hmm. It really yeah. is brilliant design. Yeah. Um, and to, to, to think that Doctor Who did what it did on the budget that it had mm -hmm. when, when you yeah. compare it with Star Trek uh, yeah. or Star Wars for that matter. Well, you just look at yeah. the Murray Leach design of like Planet of the Evil, the jungle that they had there, and then you compare it oh. to just a few years later, half a decade later with Kinda, the jungle that they had in Kinda. It's sort of like, is it the artist? Is it the budget? The bu I can't believe the budget was that bad between Planet of the Evil and Kinda. What, what happened? It's not even Kinda. It's, it's Megalos in season 18, right? Mm -hmm. Megalos did not the jungle of Megalos, because you compare that to it was okay, but it didn't have the atmosphere mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. of Planet of Evil. Now, Planet of Evil, a lot of that had to do with the fact that they were at Ealing Film Studios with on film. Right. 
Right. Right. If I remember correctly. So yeah. they could, they've got the greenness, the atmosphere of film, but also they could have all sorts of more water effects mm-hmm. and stuff like that that are more difficult to do at the television center or wherever they're filming. Uh, the main show, yeah, like Creature from the Pit was even a good. Yeah, that was that a was... season earlier was a better jungle. So it's just it's just. Yeah. I I think the designers and like you say maybe on film that there's a certain level of creativity that these early Doctor Who designers had that would really bring these productions into a level that you wouldn't see with contemporary television, even in Star Trek, where Ben and I joke around that it's just a backlot off of Burbank somewhere. It's always <laughs> always. So oh, everywhere it looks like California. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Planet California. But you know, it, it, it was amazing. What they, I think the watching the Adventure Space and Time that Mark Gattis did back, you know, now seven years ago mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> when he did that. Um, watching that, it really showed us how tiny Lime Grove Studio D was. Mm-hmm. And when you think that the Daleks was filmed in that tiny studio. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And it's like it was a whatever, 10 foot, 12 foot section of corridor. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant and when like when you've got that limitation you have no choice Mm -hmm. right you have to make do and they they did it with flying colors right from the start forget about the fact that i just watched the sense rights a few weeks ago yeah the wall wobbles (laughs) here and there but um you know that's still that world sense rights and of course it's like the same mechanism sense rights i mean they must be close to each other it looks the same (laughs) but but you know that that whole space age world in the sky type thing right mm-hmm. with all the the arches and right, the points right. and that. i love that mm-hmm. stuff the dalek city too from the daleks mm-hmm. right i will not call it the dead planet I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> you know i don't have the aka the daleks. Yeah. it's the daleks yep. for me yep oh same thing with the model work in the chase where the mechanoids are it's, it's beautiful design and it looks like it's just cut paper or just cut uh, board it's it's just it's just it's gorgeous. gorgeous yes yeah and they didn't have like we have a laser cutter at, at Rapido, right? Mm-hmm. So I can I can design something like that and have it cut in the laser in five minutes. They weren't using laser no. cutters. Right? <laughs> yeah. They weren't using laser cutters. They made all that amazing stuff mm-hmm. and the stuff they would make with perspex and this like, it was incredible. And again, like these, the, the, it's the the costumes and the sets. A Doctor Who has a very undeserved reputation from the sixties and seventies mm. of having the wobbly sets and the unbelievable monsters. But actually, if you look at yeah, those costumes, they were extremely believable. Mm-hmm. You could look at the draconians. The draconians stand up and the ogrons to anything that's being made mm-hmm. today, yeah. right? But even look at something like Arcturus mm-hmm. from Curse of Peladon. Right. That was brilliant. Right? He's like he's a, he's, a, he's a bubble with goo spurting right. everywhere. Like that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that that the, that sophistication of design. Mm-hmm. That it was really ahead of its time. When you think about when Doctor Who came about, design for science fiction was like, uh, you know, the, obviously the Robbie the Robot. Type thing. That's what it was. <laughs> right. like it wasn't right. the Daleks revolutionary. I thought I thought the Cybermen. Um, I first saw Tenth Planet on a slightly snowy copy <laughs> uh, when I was 14 years old. And I'll have to tell you, I, I was actually chilled. <laughs> Uh, it's, they're more scary when it's a little blurry right. <laughs> than they are when it, right, when right, it's right. crystal clear. But I thought I thought the Tenth Planet Cyber were brilliant, and I think that 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 when they came back in in the Swan Song for the Twelfth Doctor to bring back the Tenth Planet Cybermen for the twenty first century, I thought was what that to me was the best thing mm-hmm. that Stephen Moffat ever did. Oh wow! Yeah, and that that two parter to me is is like that is his crowning glory. Right, that was phenomenal right. yeah you know because it made 60 cybermen terrifying yeah. to six-year-olds and 10-year-olds <laughs> in 2017 or yeah. whatever it was that whole season was actually that's the best season that moffat wrote which is ironic i, I agree the last I agree, one I, that he did but in my opinion I, I wasn't a fan i wasn't personally a fan of the christmas special 
twice upon a time. Mm-hmm. But up until that that Cyberman two parter, yeah. I was that that was spectacular. Yeah, yeah that was, was. spectacular. Mm-hmm. So was, it's it's nice when you when you can watch a fellow fan who's making the show and say, "Ooh, you got it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> nailed was, it. You got it. You got you nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it." Yeah. Do you have a favorite monster from the Pertwee or Baker era? Uh-huh. The best monster in Doctor Who will always be the Nymon. <laughs> Lord the ni- Horns of Nymon is got to be the most underrated Doctor Who story in history. Yep. Okay, it's always right near the bottom of those poles, yep. and it is freaking hilarious. Okay, it's so funny. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome, and I just like weakling scum, and you know, and all of my hard drives of the last twenty five years have. Some name, whether it's called Aneth or Soldeed or, or Sesum <laughs> or Lord Nymon. Uh, if I'm ever on the plane and you know you can see everyone's phones and stuff, right. there's always you can you always see the second great Scotland Empire and the uh-huh. third great Scotland. One's my phone, one's my laptop. <laughs> that's how we know you're on the plane with us. That's how you know I'm on the plane. So Horns of Nymon is so like it's just it's just an hour and a half of comic brilliance mm-hmm. <laughs> all right mm-hmm. and it's I, I it's underrated and i think actually the mm-hmm. graham williams era is underrated i think if people mm-hmm. they always talk about the classic philip hinchcliffe robert holmes those classic years right or then they'll talk mm-hmm. about barry letts and terrence dicks those classic years but then yeah yeah graham williams yeah we'll move on to, to the early jnt <laughs> right but actually when you think about it there was amazing stuff then. And, and yes it was funny Mm-hmm. But it was well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about forget Horns of Nymon. Talk about the gallery scene in the City of Death has got to be one of the best scenes in the history yeah. of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> right? I right. mean, and and these are these are brilliant, and you can watch them over and over mm-hmm. again. You really can. Mm-hmm. So the seventies they they were a golden era, absolutely. And right. you know, if you can avoid, ignore <laughs> the wonderful chroma key in Underworld, it's actually a cracking good story. Oh yeah. Underworld is an amazing story. I love Underworld. It's a yeah. good story. Yeah. It's a good it story, you know. So um, Sunmakers yep. as well. Sunmakers, one of my mm-hmm. one of my, my friend Emmanuel, it's, it's his favorite. He loves yeah. the Sunmakers. You know, mm-hmm. he just he can watch it over and over. So there's there's great stuff. But um, I'll even I'll even uh, I'll even watch Colony in Space more than once mm-hmm. in a ten years. Well, maybe maybe twice in ten years. <laughs> I do love the Pearl Era, but yeah. um, there's only so much so many times you can watch. The power struggle go back, or or it's like watching Frontier in Space. Let's get locked up again. How much of each episode are we going to spend locked up? But they're still my favorites, even yeah. with those quirks. Yeah, you know, what can you do? How did you react to K nine when that when the little tin dog came on the scene? Loved K nine, of course, <laughs> of course, I love K nine. Okay, right? and then when K nine came back in School Reunion, that was brilliant. You know, because like, <laughs> it, it was so. What was Washington Davis was wonderful at being self referential. He didn't take himself too seriously. <laughs> yeah, so that was great. It's like, doesn't he look a little retro? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a tin dog. Right. Um, so yeah, K nine. I I was the right age for K nine. I have very early memories of Invisible Enemies. That would have been right around. When I started watching those weekly right. shows, it was 78. Mm-hmm. So that means I would have been probably the next year that Invisible Enemy, or that year or the next year that Invisible Enemy would have shown been shown in Canada. Mm-hmm. So I have very early memories of, of things like Invisible Enemy, mm-hmm. uh, Face of Evil, et cetera. But, but it's, you know, canine being introduced to Invisible Enemy. Um, I always got the two confused because they have very similar aesthetic. You're going into the doctor right or you're going into the sculpted doctor, <laughs> right? And when you're four, you can't tell those <laughs> apart. It's like, hang on, didn't this just happen already? 
No, it was a different story. But didn't they go in the doctor already? No, a different story. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a second. Wait, let's start again. What's going on? Right. And you think about the fact that we that we don't. I, when you're four or five years old, you don't understand half of what's going on. Right. You don't understand 90%. But I didn't care. I used to lick the screen in the end credits. It was chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it explains a lot about what, I'm, what I am today. <laughs> Uh, perfect. And that's why uh, I think in North America, the key to time season really resonates with Americans. Because I think for me, Doctor Who was on, but it wasn't until season 16 that I started really, it started really clicking for me for whatever reason it was. So it's right, right in the heart of Gray and Williams era is that key to time scene. That was what he wanted to do. Brilliant. That's a brilliant, brilliant season. You think about, I mean, Pirate Planet, what a brilliant story. <laughs> And Stones of Blood was one of the only stories where, you know, they always say you hide behind the sofa. And of mm. course, come on, everyone's sofa's against the wall. Nobody's hiding behind a <laughs> freaking sofa. Okay, it's against the wall. I mean, but anyway, so my parents had an L-shaped sofa. So right. there was a behind the sofa. Okay, uh -huh. And I was about 16 and uh, Stones of Blood came on and Stones of Blood and State of Decay were the two stories that terrified me as a kid. And uh, and both about, they don't have to be about blood sucking whether it's vampires or ogre, they're, they're about blood sucking. Right. And that was the thing I had. I used to have vampire nightmares. So mm -hmm. I never hid behind the sofa until I was about 16. And Stones of Blood was on the omnibus edition on a you know, Sunday afternoon or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I, as, as soon as I saw the campers, right. uh, where the ogre go and they, they kill the two campers, I remember I went behind the couch and I looked out <laughs> the back window of the, the, the sliding door to the backyard and waited till the scene was over. Even though I was sixty, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it because that was so terrifying. I used to have nightmares about being chased by ogre. Wow! Right, and uh, and now I look back on it and say that's how good yeah. it was. Yes, yes. All right, that's how good it was. Mm -hmm. That it, it it and it influenced me. And so, if you think about playing with my kids, right? If we're ever we're, we're playing Star Wars, Doctor Who, whatever, and you know, I go thump 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 uh -huh. thump. <laughs> you know, and it's the ogre coming. You talk about the weeping angels being scary. Big hunkin' rocks are scary to <laughs> that particular like, age of Doctor Who fans. Well, it, rock. Was a, it was a glowing rock. Yeah, well, any <laughs> rock, exactly. It was, it was a glowing rock mm -hmm. that was unstoppable and sucked your blood. And right. I, I, I'm no, I'm not telling a lie. I would have nightmares. I was being chased by the ogre, yeah. and there was no escaping them. Mm -hmm. That you just couldn't. They would just keep coming after you. Yeah. Right. And uh, we do. I played a lot of D&D &D in high school and Ogre were one of the first uh, crossover monsters for me. I would take Ogre from Doctor <laughs> Who and put him into Dungeons and Dragons. And you, like you said, you had these uh, insane rocks, which will just keep tracking and chasing you because so, they want to drain your blood. That was filmed at the Roll Wright Stones in Oxfordshire, where Emmanuel and I went to one of our jaunts to right. see various Doctor Who locations. So, of course, the big Stonehenge-type stones were all props. Right. Okay, the Rollwright right. stones are really yeah. small. Mm -hmm. And so we went to the Rollwright stones, and we brought a little model TARDIS, and we're taking pictures of the stones. It was great. And I got the impression that the other people there were a little crazy. Mm -hmm. So I decided to test it. So I walked up to the lady who was in the shack. There's a shack at the Rollwright stones. This lady is in the shack. And I said, hi, um, we have a, uh, a bottle of human blood we want to pour onto one of the stones as part of a pagan ritual. Can we do that? <laughs> And without bagging, I says, well, you know, we do get requests for that a lot quite often. Unfortunately, it does wear the surface of the stones. <laughs> I thought, oh, my God. Whoa. And so Emmanuel, and I, there's, a, there's one stone across the street from the stone, the big one, the king stones across the street. Mm -hmm. So we went across the street and she followed us. 
She followed us across the street to make sure we didn't pour the blood on the stove. Like, lady, I was making it up. Really, I was just, I was just playing Whoa. with you. Come on. Fans. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, yeah. This, uh, they're, they're, I don't think those are Doctor Who fans. I think those are other kind of fans. <laughs> Hopefully not Doctor Who fans. fans. Those are Doctor Who fans. Doctor Who fans aren't pouring blood on Robert Stones. We're just trying to take them home. We're just trying to take the home room. <laughs> we'll just take home the, you know, the you know, that Kingstone. He was in the background. I'll take that home. You know, it's like I could just imagine the Doctor Who fans like trying to move the 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 in roof from East Hagborn. It's like, come on, this was in this was in it. The whole all four episodes of Doctor Who, the Androids. I got to take it home. Excuse me, that's my roof. <laughs> like you know that the cloven hoof. You know what happened with that the sign in in uh, in Aldborn yeah. in Wiltshire where they filmed the demons. A Doctor Who fan came in and like I think paid like a hundred pounds or something and took the uh-huh. t- t- got the original wow. sign from the pub. Like, oh, do you know how much that worth now? Yeah, Come on, well, it should be a museum. If they can, it should uh, be in a museum. Verify it or validate it because uh, provenance is going to be questionable on that. <laughs> provenance is all, yeah, it's always provenance. Because that's the thing with original pro. That's why I don't try and get original yeah. props. Like, come on, yeah. Right. Some guy say he had an original uh, brain of Morbius for sale. It was a prop. <laughs> so I said I could use a brain of Morbius. But I know it's not original, but he was asking like 50 pounds for it. It's like, yeah, Is it on. in the plexiglass yeah. jar then? or? Well, that's the problem. The plexiglass broke. So it was just, <laughs> it's just a rubber brain. Saying, what, what do I need this for? Right. There's no plexiglass. Yeah. yeah, it's just a rubber brain. I don't need a rubber brain. Rubber brain. Yeah, so that's, that's where, that's one of my, one of my, my you know, you have hits and misses when you're mm-hmm. purchasing uh, old yeah. stuff. That was definitely, definitely on the miss, miss. category. <laughs> uh, the Doctor Who Give a Show projector was a hit. Um, do you remember the um, uh, Revenge of the Cybermen statues and resin that were like 250 pounds? Then, no one wants these. Hundred pounds. Okay, I'll take them for hundred pounds. <laughs> right. Or the uh, there was the product. Was it, it wasn't who who did the um, the pewter Daleks? We still have our pewter Dalek salt and pepper shakers on our table, and I got those like in nineteen ninety nine. Again, that was like originally two hundred yeah. pounds. Then no one wants these. Sixty five dollars. I got them from Who Na uh, from Keith Bradbury, yeah. and uh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I have I have the salt and pepper Daleks. Yep. I'm looking at them right now. They're wonderful. <laughs> use, we use them every week. They're good. They're excellent. great. Excellent. They. I thought actually the proportions are bang on. I thought they're excellent. No, they're they're excellent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, again, it's it, much better than my Dapple toys. <laughs> yeah, I did. I never. Cl- I I was very snobbish about those because I felt that the proportions were incorrect. So I never bought any oh, Dapple stuff at all. Though I guess you, you, you probably would because Dapol made trains as well, right? Yes. So Dapol still makes trains. It's not owned by the same trains. couple. Okay. Uh, right. He passed away about two years ago and I think okay. she sold it. But it's, so it's not, it's not made with them anymore. But yeah, Dapol right. is a mall train manufacturer. Yeah. Um, and I actually, did you ever go to Klein Gochlin when the Doctor Exhibition was there? I didn't. No, I never did. I did that's that's did, like wilderness did. years in a nutshell. It is a, an old factory building in like darkest Wales. Okay, and it's a bunch mm-hmm. of rotting foam <laughs> props from the 70s. <laughs> and there's two people. We were the only ones in the entire place. Right? Doctor Who experience, it was yeah. not. No, 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 no. But I, I did do, I, yeah. 2013, I made my pilgrimage to the experience, got a tour oh, of the nice. set at uh, Rothlock. That was right. that was that was fun. That was great. But yeah. I, my my complaint about it yeah. was, I thought, this kind of feels like Klangochlin, just with more money. I felt that it, it right. the whole second level of it was all just a bunch of props with plaques. And I would have liked that they'd been more interactive. They could do more. It, it, it yeah. was okay for an old fart like me, but I thought kids would really get bored looking at like, oh, this is a Time Lord yeah. suit. Oh, this is a robot of death suit or whatever. Like you need yeah. to, it needs to be like the beginning was great, but I felt that it, 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 yeah. it lost it. 
sort of it's like the difference yeah. between heritage yeah. rail museums where you just get to go and look at the rolling stock and the engines or you can actually climb up in the caboose and the cab and stuff there's a whole level of immersion and yes. you get a more sense of the experience true, true. if you can interact with the exhibit rather than 100 percent, 100 percent. i would rather if you're having a doctor experience yeah. you know it's great that you've got all these old props forget them leave them in the closet okay create a small part of scarrow create a small part Ooh. of of you know planet of evil jungle create whatever um you know and and yeah. and then you you do it like we had this at the science center here in toronto back in the day is that you'd have a camera so that you could kids could go and and act out in scarrow and then their parents or other friends could watch <laughs> in the little screen i mean just yeah. doing something like that would be mm -hmm. much more exciting i remember as a kid those are my favorite parts of museums and stuff where you can go and do stuff you can role play you can pretend right I didn't want to see a bunch of props. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That makes right. sense. So I hope, I do hope they will bring back some form of Doctor Who experience. But I think the whole world of fandom in terms of the mass marketability seems to be changing. You know, if you look at the viewing figures on television are, are down for everything, not just Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. People are, con we're, we're consuming right, right. our culture now on little tiny screens at our own time. Right. Right. People are binge watching yeah. it. They're not used to sit, getting I have to sit down at what you got seven o'clock on Saturday nights. You crazy. Right. Right. You know, so I, I wonder if you can still have something like the doctor experience. I hope, well, look, we've got, it's three years till the 60th. Right. So I really hope that we yeah. don't go out with a whimper and like, get canceled in year 59. I mean, come on. It, no, right. it'll, yeah. it'll be canceled year 61. If any, any, if history's <laughs> any, <laughs> but, but hopefully we can have, yeah, yeah. we can have like a big experience and mm -hmm. really like go, go full tilt on it. All right, with a bang. I'm hoping it'd be in the uh, in North America somewhere. I think a lot of productions are co-sponsored right. by BBC America. Right. Yeah, I think it should be a global event. If you look at the Star Trek 50th, it was really a a global event, and they had they had the cruise, they had the event in Las Vegas, they had stuff in the UK. Right. Um, I actually had I had a gold usher ticket to the event in Las Vegas, and kids, family, I couldn't make it. Hmm. So I have a cousin. The only other Jason Schron in the world. So I sent him a message and said, Hey, do you need a ticket to go to to the to Star Trek convention? Because I got one with your name on it. Right. Fabulous. And eventually, uh, I actually, I just sold it to somebody who just took it for the, the price I paid for it. I wasn't right. trying to get more from it. It was, it was I, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't go. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think having, having an event around the world, having something in Canada, having something in the States, having something in Australia, having something in the UK, that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you if they schedule it right, if you have a doctor a month, you could just have these poor, tired people traveling from <laughs> one to the next to the next. All right. Well, we're in the wonderful. We're in the Zoom world now. Maybe it would just be a, a giant Zoom. No, no, no. It's not, it's not the same. Listen, we had a we had an, a, a convention here uh, in Toronto, uh, not far from my house. And we had Peter Davison came and uh, and and some other guests. And and it was it was wonderful. You know, Dan Starkey was there. Mm -hmm. Um and and it was like I felt like I was I was 14 again at a convention. Mm -hmm. It was great. Yeah. I mean, it was just there was just so much positive energy as part of that 50th anniversary yeah. celebration, right? Um, yeah. And and I really hope that we can do something like that again for the 60th. And and yeah. but the truth is that in 2013, Doctor Who was on top of the world. They really like everyone was talking right. Doctor Who. Right. And yeah. there's very little out there now that everyone's talking about. Even the Star Wars yeah. movies seem to come and go. It's like, oh, wow, a Star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. right? It's not yeah. the same buildup. And, uh, yeah. and that's sad because, you know, that, that, that aspect of fandom is so special, that, mm -hmm. that buildup and that excitement. So hopefully, with three years, I hope they're planning now for something that's spectacular. Yeah, they should the, be. You know, come on. Go for come it. On, go for it. <laughs> yeah. 
So I think that's a good place to leave it on. Uh, Jason, Shran, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was fantastic talking and reminiscing. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Like you said, three old guys talking <laughs> Doctor Who. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for having me. It is nice to be talking about something other than trains. Yeah. But should you ever resurrect your podcast as a train podcast, just give me a call and I'll be talking about trains for an hour and a half. Excellent. <laughs> well, our wives kind of encouraged us to do this podcast because they... Uh, couldn't believe that we could talk about Doctor Who for <laughs> as much as we did. Yeah, yeah, so my it, wife still just, can't believe it, to yes. be honest. She was like, what, what have you got to talk about? Well, it's always... My wife, when I try to share Doctor Who or trains, her eyes glaze over. And she's a partner in the train business. And still, her eyes glaze over. <laughs> Silent uh, partner. I'm, re- I'm really bored now, and please call your friends. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you guys for calling me, because it's been a lot of fun. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you, Jason, and... Uh, It's goodbye for me. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye for me. have you seen today uh, they need to make a nine why isn't there a nymon action figure come on oh i would uh. i would definitely buy a fleet of nymons i've got i don't know if you saw when I, at least when, when i walked past i don't know if you saw how many cybermen i have it's like it's yeah i have mm-hmm. probably about 50 cybermen because you gotta have you gotta have cybermen <laughs>